Byer here, welcoming you to Season 3. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms. If you want to be a better farmer, you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine. That's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf. And then the other thing, part of Growers and Company is there, he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied. You know, he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book, The Market Gardener. If you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's he's he got to go travel to all these farms and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork. The handles are just wood and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um they've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company growers.co check it out get something for your favorite gardener definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor do you belong to a csa i'll bet you want to get them a christmas present this year it doesn't have to be on time i know it might be late when you're hearing this but Make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and co. Hey, do you have a question for Patty Armbruster? Is there something you'd like to know? Uh, YouTube live ask Patty how to grow a healthy garden, how to grow healthy food, how to do stuff on your farm. We're going to talk about everything from processing local chickens to what seeds to plant, how to grow cover crops. Fridays, 4 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Montana. Submit your questions at organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash patty, P-A-T-T-I, organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash patty. And join us Fridays, YouTube Live, 4 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Montana Standard Time. Hope to see you there.
question. I want to talk to you. I am so excited. I can't believe you booked this already and we're talking because um, I just have so many questions for you. So welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Tuesday, December 29th, 2020. It's probably 2021 when you're hearing this. I have an amazing guest on the line. He has like so much information I know you're going to love. I have so many questions to ask him. So here to talk to us today is Brandon Brandon Yost. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, well, tell listeners a little bit about yourself and everything you've got going. You've got a podcast and uh, I think a farm teaching business. And I don't know. Go ahead and tell listeners about everything you've yeah, got going. There's there's a lot going on. I'm not, I'm not actually sure how to answer the question, what do I do for a living? <laughs> and I think, honestly, I, I never really liked the term entrepreneur before. I thought it was like a little egotistical, but honestly, that's kind of what I am at this point. Uh, so I am the founder of Bootstrap Farmer, co-founder of Urban Farm Academy and STEM.ag. Um, and that was, those are the business sites I'm currently operating. But uh, as we'll get into, my journey into gardening, farming, and all that stuff has evolved very rapidly. And we've done all kinds of things. And so we can really go down whatever rabbit hole you want. But just as far as who I am, um, you know, I, I started a gardener, became a farmer, and now I'm just, a, I guess, a, a businessman with a mission and a lot of things I'm trying to accomplish over my career and just, you know, for the community and farming in general. Brandon, I am like the last person to listen to business podcasts, like, or know anything about business. Like when I went to art school, I was like, nope, don't want to have anything to do with it. And like, I don't know, in 2014, I was taking this leadership class or 2012, maybe. And that's how I found podcasting. And ever since, like, I've been following this entrepreneur business route, but I, I feel like we have very similar. Now I did not start out a gardener. I'm married to the gardener at my house, but um, I did. I just, I love your mission. And I love the way you talked about, you had all these ideas. Like I'm so inspired because I feel the same way. Like I want to do this and I want to do that. And I want to do this. And you were like, should I just do this one thing and give up on these other things? And you went and got help from a mentor and that's what made yeah. these other well, things blossom. So I do always ask about your very first experience in the garden. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Like, who were you with and what'd you grow? You know, I think the the most relevant story and the, the one that was kind of like galvanizing for me is, you know, I used to be in corporate finance. You know, I did the whole college thing, got a degree in economics and finance and, you know, was doing that thing, but I hated it. It was like the, the corporate nine to five. But we had a state park right next, next to our office building. So, you know, I think just out of like this, like subconscious, I needed to get outside. I started coming into work like really early so I can go over to the state park where they had uh, garden plots available for rent. So, you know, I'd go there before work, I'd be there at lunch, and then I'd be there after work. And I just spent more and more time like away from my desk and out, out there. And I just wanted to leave, wanted to quit, wanted to do something. I didn't know what to do. So... I was like, what do I enjoy doing? And what are the problems that I see in the world that I think that I can address with the skills that I have? So it took me a long time to kind of like find my way and, and to figure out what that would be. Uh, but that was, that, was gar that was gardening for me. It was like an escape from the office. And that was, that's what I found comfort in. And that was really the launching of my-, my And where, where was this? Like what state did this all happen in? 
So I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, went to school in Philadelphia, went to Drexel University, and then got a job at BlackRock, which is you know a big uh, financial institution at this point. So um, I loved I loved the people there. I loved you know just um, you know, the people I talked to and the relationships I had. But the job sucks. You know it's it's you know it's back office work, and it, they keep you in an office. You got to report every day. You know you have like five bosses and. I was just never that person that never sat right with me. And now that I'm not that, I'm on the other side and I have businesses of my own. I just, I'm so thankful that I was able to step out of that and figure something else out because um, I just, I was kind of like chasing like what you're told to do instead of what you want to do. And, um, you know, that's informed everything that I've done going forward. So like Bootstrap Farmer, for example, even the name for that business was very much, you know, who I was because in order to quit your, you know, well-paying job and to become a farmer where you're not going to make nearly as much money, uh, it requires a lot of planning and, and all that stuff. And the fact that I was never gardening professionally, I was going to make a lot of mistakes. And I also happened to be moving to a new state at that time. So I was just starting with a completely new blank slate. And what I did the year before I did any of that was I moved in with my mom and dad so I can save money and there's no motivation uh, to you know, change your life <laughs> and to move in with mom and dad first. And I needed that for all kinds of reasons. And like you know, we were talking about before the show, you know, listening to podcasts was really the thing that I think really helped me in my education because on my commutes, you know, it was an hour each way at least. And that opportunity to educate myself was the thing that I, that I needed. So uh, I don't know where you want to take it from there, but you know, gardening, was the thing that really curious who you were listening to on your on. commutes we were just i was just talking to patty armister about um pat flynn and the smart passive income and i learned oh, from yeah. uh, john lee dumas taught me how to podcast do you do you recognize entrepreneur on fire that, heck yeah and you know it's so funny you mentioned those two because and now we're, we're talking about like 2014 2015 yeah um those were the pot yeah those were the first ones that i started listening to entrepreneur on fire I was listening to other business owners and that like was, that gave me so much confidence to just like, kind of like continue on the ne next task, you know, the next day and to do something every single day, listening to those people. And I guess what I would say, as far as like recommended podcasts or anything like that, it's all about the timing. You know, there's a whole lot of content out there, but you know, we all need something different at a different time in our lives. And entrepreneur on fire at that time was exactly what I needed. Pat Flynn, smart passive income is exactly what I needed at that time. I don't listen to those anymore because I'm, I'm listening to, you know, like Naval Ravikant or Tim Ferriss or someone like that. Um, that's what I'm listening to now, but even like someone like Joe Rogan, who's controversial, um, he said a lot of things that, you know, I love my dad my dad recently passed, but there's a lot of things oh, that so he never said to me that, uh, you know, it's okay, but he never said a lot of things that I needed to hear, you know, to, to have self-confidence in myself. And I heard that, you know, through podcasts and people like Joe Rogan. So um, yeah, that, that opened up a whole world for me because, you know, the television doesn't get you very far, you know, and, and, but YouTube is a whole world and podcasts is a whole world. And, uh, it's just a matter of effort at that point. Are you in podcasters paradise? Like in the Facebook group and stuff? Like, did you, or did you learn from uh, Pat Flynn or even who did John no, no, learn just, from before that? The raving guy, Cliff Ravenscraft. I'm not sure who they all learned. Yeah, I never heard of Cliff Raven. I'm not sure who they learned from, but you know, just those guys' dedication, doing it day after day and monetizing what they're doing. Um, you know, I always look for examples and, and 
inspiration from people. Like no one's perfect, but everyone has something you can learn from. And for those guys, just, you know, put, putting themselves out there, like John Lee Dumas was in the Navy or something like that, if, if I can remember in correctly. And army, just got yeah. into the, in the army and got, got into podcasting. He just decided and took control of his life. And that, that's the thing that I'm all about is like, I felt trapped. And the hardest thing for me to do was to like take control. Like I knew I was going to quit for like a year and a half. And I even told my boss like six months in advance, but even like, as those days were leading up, like I had, a, my stomach was turning. Sometimes I felt like physically sick, even though I knew I was like, I had to do it. I didn't have a choice for all these reasons. You know, it was still the hardest thing I ever did. So I don't take it lightly when people don't like their job and want to quit and want to like live this ideal lifestyle. Like they think of like, you know, I'm going to have a farm and sell my stuff and, and live this kind of homesteading life. Like it's possible. I, you know, I obviously I met a bunch of people now that have done the same thing. And another business that, you know, I mentioned that started is the Urban Farm Academy. And what the Urban Farm Academy is, is putting all that information that I learned, how I bootstrap my business. Um, so, you know, get, getting ahead of myself or maybe I should backtrack a little bit. Um, I never intended to start Bootstrap Farmer and I never intended to start the Urban Farm Academy. When I left my nine to five job, like I said, I, I wanted to start farming. Uh, but for me, I didn't want to leave a high paying job and, and go sell basically like $2 heads of lettuce. You know, that, that just seemed like, why would I do that? So I was like, how can I, how can I be a farmer, but like be, make a lot more money, you know, just to kind of put it bluntly. And I had this aha moment when I realized like, what do I do in my day-to-day -day life that I that I have skill and an interest in where I'm not like forcing an interest that I never actually tried something that I'm already doing. So at my nine to five, I was making all of my meals on Sunday and bringing them in for the week. And I'd have like six jars in the fridge. Everyone knew me as that guy, you know, who would <laughs> eat all of his meals. It totally reminds um, me so of that guy, I, Ben, in the farm to the roof, keeping the compost in his desk drawer. <laughs> oh geez that's well that's weird but <laughs> yeah we all we, we all got our little like we're all we're all, we all got well he thing, hated right? his and corporate job like, too just like you did and then he wanted to go out to be a farmer okay yeah i mean and that and that's the thing like what are we doing in our day-to-day -day lives like that we're already interested that we're already acting upon that we can maybe leverage just kind of and that we're good at yeah yeah and that yeah and that's where tim ferris's four-hour work week was a pretty um galvanizing book for me to too, because it's all about using leverage. Uh, so I got to think about that too. So basically I had this, uh, this tagline that I used, I turned a $2 head of lettuce into a $10 salad. And the way I can do that the most efficiently is if I park a food truck on my property, I can use it as my commercial kitchen. So I keep everything with in my property and then I can just go do deliveries like in my car or truck. So I was basically doing like a weekly meal plan so uh, people would place their orders on Thursday. I would harvest and buy what I needed to buy on you know, Saturday. I would cook all day Sunday and I would deliver to them on Monday. And this is a business model that I rolled out with in 2015. I, uh, I think it was actually 2016 that I you know, made my first sale. But um, yeah, we were doing contactless deliveries, all that good stuff way before everyone else was doing it. And that business model, uh, my intention was to prove it and show that it can be done. And over the next four years, that's exactly what we did. Um, because, you know, Bootstrap Farmer happened and the Urban Farm Academy happened. I just have this like knack. I can't stop starting businesses. It's actually a problem. Um, I, I had other people run that farm to food truck business for me because like now they're running it. Now they're proving it to you. 
And that was uh, Kate and Joe of Little by Little Farm. And we changed the name from Vetch to Bowl to the Craven Local Food Market. And you can look both of those up on Instagram uh, if you want to see uh, what we've done there. And that was, again, it was basically a, a weekly subscription. They were farmers. They were growing as much as they possibly could. They harvested it, they cooked it, and they delivered it in glass jars. And we did a jar exchange. And so you can kind of see like where my interests are. It's about proving these hyper-local business models and giving farmers like kind of a window that they can look through. And like, how do I stop selling just a $2 head of lettuce when people are looking This is for so the and, answer and I am looking for, Brandon. You have no idea. <laughs> well, and you know, I'll mention, you know, check out our book, The Bootstrap Farmer Guide to Farming the Future. I mean, I've laid out in that book and it's basically free. If you want Urban Farm Academy, we have like a PDF link. I'm not trying to make money off of that. Um, I, I make my money from Bootstrap Farmer. We sell equipment to small farmers across the country. The Urban Farm Academy is basically my mission-based business. It's like where I... I spout off all the things that I believe in in the future that I'm trying to create. So, you know, you can go back and you can see what we did with vegetable, the, the food truck. And then you can see when we upgraded to a real commercial kitchen um, and just did the jar exchange. And that was the Craven local food market. So if anyone is out there, it's like, how do I turn my backyard into a business or how do I, you know, start small there? There's a whole lot of information there. Um, and, and business models that I've built and proved out that you can just copy and take all the information from. It's there for you to use. And within the Urban Farm Academy, there is a course that I created called Farm Fusion. And it's basically doing what I was saying before, taking a $2 head of lettuce and creating a $10 salad. So you're creating something that the masses want and you're meeting them where they want to be met. You know, we were going to the farmer's market or we were doing delivery. Um, so that's kind of like the thing that I think farmers have really fallen short on largely is, you know, they let people come to them. They expect everyone to go to the farmer's markets. But, you know, when I was growing up, I was playing basketball. I was playing baseball. My mom was taking me to practices. She didn't have time to go to the farmer's market. So, you know, if we're trying to make, uh, if we're trying to reach mainstream audiences, you know, we got to go to them. Well, I always think like as a school teacher, so I'm not teaching this year, but last year, you know, I was teaching full time. And I always would think like, if somebody came to the school, like there's 40 something teachers on staff, we'd be much more likely to buy, you know, something once a week or get, you know, the bountiful baskets there or, you know, whatever to make it easier. Or I always wanted somebody to come wash my car and clean my car while it's sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> because like, that'd be a great business this idea. If somebody would come and do all the teachers, you know, they're all there or just like, you know, or the electric company, you could go to the electric company one day. Like these are so the ideas that have been churning in my head. Plus I like, I don't know who I talked to one day. I was like, I would make a horrible CSA customer because I don't want to have to show up somewhere at two o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Like, I don't want to be committed. I don't go to the farmer's market because it doesn't meet my schedule. Like everything you're saying, you have nailed these problems. Yep. And I'll tell you what, there was someone else who had that farm, who was doing the farm to food truck model and doing exactly that, delivering it to offices and to schools. And they were just doing a, a, a salad, like a lunch club. Like I was making meals like breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. Like that was me. But another guy in Paris, Texas, in middle of nowhere, Texas was doing this uh, with a hydroponic farm inside of a building and just making salads. And uh, I, so I, we were like the only two doing it. And I met him and he, basically I just hired him. Uh, so he works for Bootstrap now and he's the other co-founder of the Urban Farm Academy. So he did that with me and that's largely um, our vision uh, created together. 
and his name is Nick Burton, and that business was called uh, Victory Lunch Club. So other people are doing this. It's a, you know, if you have questions, like we have YouTube videos, we have blogs, we have courses, like every, all, our entire experience is out there. So I just, you know, I, should, I, I tell people this, not, you know, there's no money to be made off of it. Uh, all the information's free. We just kind of want to show people what's possible because, you know, this whole COVID environment business is shutting down. Like I see so much, like th this opportunity that I'm talking about, it, it's there, like anybody can do it. Uh, and the information's free. So, um, you know, I just challenge people, if, if this is something that's been nagging at you, just go check it out. I mean, there's no downside to spending, you know, an hour or two just kind of, you know, finding some Not only that, you're like, I bet people are thinking like, we're going to hopefully get these stimulus checks. Like you're giving them a way that they can start out slowly develop their markets, see where the interest lies without a huge infrastructure, without a huge investment. Like one thing we've been thinking, like my husband grew a million potatoes last year. And so we were like, we were thinking homemade French fries are so good. And we have all these potatoes and that's something he grows well. And um, we've been trying to figure out like I said, like my, I would keep talking to my stepdaughter about doing a food truck because they're part of it is like we used to work for this lady and they have a food truck in Eureka and they just posted that they're shutting down for the winter. And I'm like, hey, why don't you ask her if we can run her food truck for the winter since they're not doing it anyway. And then they didn't have mm -hmm. fries, but we could do my husband's. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad to talk to you because other people be like, oh, it's just another one of your dreams, Jackie, and it's <laughs> not going to work. But my stepdaughter worked, first we worked for this woman, and then she went and ran a pizza food truck for two years. So she knows like kind of the ins and outs of ordering. The one thing we're struggling with is where to put it because her that pizza truck she worked at was super successful because it was next to a brewery but now you're making me think like we could do like we should see like is there an interest like if we came to the school once a week if we went to lincoln electric once a week if we just like we're downtown because we don't like we don't actually have a truck yet let, let me say this well first of all the idea that you would rent a truck off of someone who's not using it for the winter is a great way to bootstrap it instead of buying the truck and doing all this stuff like you might hate it you might do it for the winter and you might hate it, you know, and at least you would know without having to spend a whole lot of money. So that, that would be a really smart decision from that point. I totally thought you were going to be like, don't um, do that. Why would you rent it? Awesome. Well, well, let me, okay. Well, well, let me give you the other side of it. I'll tell you, uh, being a former food truck owner, it is a grind, you know, that lifestyle of being a food truck owner is a grind and chasing crowds and chasing audiences is risky. And so you, you had mentioned when the food truck was next to a brewery, you know, it's a much easier sell. And I, I completely agree. And when I took out the food truck, every single time I was successful, I was basically at a brewery or next to a brewery. And there's a good reason for that, like food, food and beer, you know, people like that and breweries don't have food. So it's a natural thing. But, you know, what I learned very quick is when you go out and your sales aren't guaranteed, you can lose money easily and not just lose like not just like break even but like lose money like you went out you worked all day and you lost money like that that can happen way too frequently so and i, and I kind of knew that could happen especially where i was moving to it was in ernal north carolina and it's basically again like the middle of nowhere it's barbecue country and here i'm, I'm rolling out with basically you know a vegetable it's called it was called vegetable so that just tells you like there was a very narrow audience in that area and i i knew that 
But for me, I couldn't waste food and I couldn't lose money going out the food truck. So that's why I created the meal subscription. So the food truck is, was just a commercial kitchen that I didn't have to like build like a foundation and all this stuff. And I can take it out. I can drive it. I can, you know, sell it easily, all those things. So that's why I went the food truck route, but really I always wanted to do the subscription. So again, they place their orders on Thursday. If if it wasn't a subscription, they were just on a week to week, they would place their order by Thursday. So everything's prepaid for up front. And then I can harvest exactly what I need. And then I can buy exactly what I need. So there's zero waste. There's just zero waste. You know, either I ate all the extras or my chickens ate all the extras. So to be a food service business that has zero waste is where like you want to be. And other restaurant tours can't compete with that. Walmart can't compete with that because it's not fresh. Like, and because you, I like to say you own the supply chain to a large extent. Like, sure, you're going to need to buy spices. You're probably going to need to buy dairy because you're not doing everything. But, you know, when you're growing the, the base of, or when I was growing the large majority of what we were using, like the butternut squashes and all that stuff, like, there's just so, so little waste. And that's where all the extra margin is. Like, that's all profit. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how I see a farmer, you know, making a bigger income than we imagined before. And again, if you go to either bootstrapfarmer.com onto our resources or the Urban Farm Academy, I wrote a long lengthy article called The Story of the Craven Local Food Market. And I go through just our entire evolution and I even break down the numbers. I give the numbers, how much money we made basically through the lens of Kate and Joe, because again, it was my, my role at that point was to prove the business model for everybody else to see. So you can see what you can make. Um, and we did that in Ernal, North Carolina. Go look it up. Like it's not, if you can make it happen there, you can make it happen anywhere, depending on just the local, your health department and all that stuff. Um, but that's not even as a big of a deal as you think, because you can, you need to be creative. Like you were like rent the food truck for, um, for the winter. See how it goes like that. That creativity is required whenever you start a business. So. Oh my gosh, somewhere I can use my creativity. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because it's sure not in a public school classroom. <laughs> I guarantee you that. Um, and then the funny thing is like talking about our stimulus check. So like, as I was pouring through your website, you're probably going to get a big chunk of ours because my husband and I were just talking yesterday. If we get a check, like we're, we like for us, if we get a check before 2021, I'm pretty sure it's just going to go pay income taxes because that's where we're like right at that break. But if we invested in our business and so my husband, and I, we were making lists. He wants a grow light. His number one thing he wants is the plastic, that thick plastic you have for sale. And I'm like, look, it's right here on Brandon's thing. Exactly what you're looking for, for his hoop house, because we're like, so we have 20 acres of forest land. We're in Northwest Montana and he grows what I call the mini farm, which is like a 10th of an acre. And this is going to tie back to a lot of what you're talking about. Like one of the most downloaded guests on my show is this guy, Bill Evanston, who talked about the Montana cottage food bill. Cause there is a big push in Montana to help small businesses make value added products. And ever since I've talked to him, there's just a part a part of me that's seen lately like we are going to be better off at our house instead of trying to go to the farmer's market which i've done with like a cooler full of swiss chard because that's what i have one day but like like getting going from like a backyard farmer and like where my husband has his mini farm and we have little bits here and there is so different than going to the farmer's market 
you know, we're just, I, I don't know if we'll ever get yeah. there. But this, I can see these are value added products. And then I, I just post an episode. I'm the organic eater. I love to cook. I love to cook or like, like I want to do like burritos because I feel like they would be, you know, there's rice, there's beans and then vegetables, but they're, you know, they can be full and hearty and flavorful. You can have different spice it. Like, so one, one cool thing that we did at the, the Craven local food market, um, that was like when we upgraded the food truck to a real commercial kitchen and like kind of a retail location. Uh, we had a grow rack inside where we were growing, I think like three or four ingredients for our ramen bowl. Uh, so like ramen bowls, for example, like there's egg, right? And that comes from the chickens that we had. Um, there's three different types of greens, you know, three or four. I mean, you can put as many greens in there as you want and put all that. So basically the only thing that we weren't getting locally for that ramen bowl was the noodles. And when I talk about, I use the term like value added, I, I've sort of remarketed as farm fusion just as a way because it expands what value added can be. And for me, it's like farm fusion is creating, you know, we created an Asian dish with stuff that we grew, you know, it's basically a value add, something that people are looking for, you know, they don't walk into stores looking for a head of lettuce and then an onion and then a tomato and then some olives. Like most people are just kind of looking for the ready to eat meal. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm pretty biased in that regard, but at the same time, like I've lived it and just seeing how little waste and how focused you can be. Um, it really helps. And again, because, you know, I was doing the uh, vegetable, the food truck, while I was also building Bootstrap Farmer. So if I can build two businesses and start two businesses at the same time, like it proves that the systems are in place to make that efficient. And again, you know, all that information is out um, at the Urban Farm Academy uh, under Farm Fusion course. It's, it's a free course. Brandon, you, so, you know, my listeners are probably like, because Jackie already asked, like, are you a rock star millennial born between 1980 and 1995? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I was born in 1987. Oh, I love it. I'm writing a book about the rock star millennials I interview. Oh, very cool. Because you guys are doing, like, this is so awesome. And I call my listeners green future growers because they're, they do want to know, how do I grow the best p- tomato? Like, give me a tip on, like, how to grow those greens that you're putting in this vegetable bowl. But they're also committed to, like, making green, you know, they want green jobs. They are that person in the office, like, that wants to get outside, that wants to make maybe, you know, more money. Like, my avatar, Jenny, she's, like, she works at this health food store, and she likes her job, and she, she likes the people, and she has a discount on healthy organic food. But she also feels like she spends way too much money of her own paycheck you know and she wouldn't mind getting more outside more in the wind in the summer and doing more outdoor activities and just she's totally your avatar yeah too. and you know i think millennials and my generation i we're all kind of a lot i noticed a lot of my friends we all kind of go through the same path like and again I'm, I'm in my own bubble we all have our own bubbles but for me you know high school you go to college you get your job And then you go through like this three or four year period where you're either then going to find out what you really want to do, or that's what you're going to be doing for the next 10 to 15 years. Because I think what happens is a lot of people will be at that job, you know, out of college and they can look across the room and see who they will become in 10 years because, you know, they're the VP at that company and people either like that or don't. So 
um, you know, I just knew where I found myself. So I don't know. Every, everything that we've done is, is sort of like that's kind of like Seth Godin's The Dip, right? Like, are you going to be the best person at what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And if not, it's time to quit. Yeah, and you know, and I like quit my job like three days after I read the book. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I mean, and we all have like different life circumstances and all that. I mean, the best advice that you'll hear a lot is to um, do a side hustle until that side hustle's income can then replace can already replace your current income yeah and then that does require like 80 hour work weeks like you have to like really want it you know if you want to do it but on the other side it, it is so beautiful it is so beautiful on the other side you know and it, and it takes a couple of years for everybody because you learn all of the lessons and it's great to not go bankrupt while you learn those lessons like that the way i approached it like i said i moved in with my mom and dad and started saving money i moved down to north carolina with 50 grand you know 50 grand and, and to go bust in order to mar- start making enough money where I can then sustain myself. And that 50 grand was to build the farm, uh, to finish the food truck, to get the business launched and to make enough where I can then pay my rent. And I, you know, I went to the very, very end of that and just managed to kind of skate through. And I think the universe kind of does that for us. You know, if we're willing to work hard every day and set good intentions and to, you know, make everything an asset and investment into ourselves, I think the universe kind of takes care of us in that way. So, um, you know, that's why I read the books that I read and listen to the podcast because self-education and making every expenditure some form of an asset is like the key to freedom. Like right now, after we get off this call, I'm, I'm going to go work on my, my solar project. And, you know, a lot of people buy boats or just a more expensive car. But, you know, the thing that I'll buy with my extra money is, you know, something that kind of improves the homestead or makes me more resilient as a person. So, you know, that to me, that solar system is an asset. It's not, it's not, it's not really just a, it wasn't a gift to myself by any means. So what do you, tell me about your solar project. Um, well, so I, this next uh, project I'll be working on, uh, you know, we, we have the Urban Farm Academy, you know, Bootstrap Farmers doing this thing. Um, the next project or business that I've been working on is called stem.ag. And I'm sure by the time this gets released, uh, people can check that out and, and see what it's about. Um, but the next thing that I'll be working on is called a word called backyarding. And it's basically the verb to turn your backyard into an asset or a tool. So for me, you know, Bootstrap Farmer is talking to small farmers. Urban Farm Academy is talking to people who, who, who were me, you know, sitting in an office environment and wanting to do something different, start a business. Um, but backyarding is more of like someone who's has an empty backyard and is like, you know, I'm sick of playing Xbox. I've hit the end of Netflix. Like, what else can I do? And no, it's like, start, go, go, to, go to Home Depot, go rent a backloader, dig a hole, put a pond in, you know, start, start putting some trees in. And um, it's actually not as hard as you think, you know, so, you know, I moved from Pennsylvania to North Carolina, but uh, in April of this year, I moved to Florida. And so I've only been here about eight months, I guess, whatever that math is. Yeah, eight months. And I have a pond with fish, aquaponic system. I got grow bags everywhere, uh, trees everywhere. And it's not because I'm a rich guy, but it's because I, I brought a lot of things and reused a lot of things and started small and you know, always willing to build with sweat equity. So 
I'll be showing off my backyard as well as a lot of other people's backyards across the country that I know are doing some cool things. So it's like, I'm trying to make farming cool in my own way. Like, you know, like Rick Ross, like if people like Rick Ross and they listen to his music and that's cool and that's what inspires them. Well, that's what I want to do with what we're doing. And it's my responsibility to connect with them. I'm not going to complain that they're not going to the farmer's market. It's like all marketers, all companies, it is their job to get their attention in a way that, you know, connects. And that's, that's what we have to do. We have to step up to the plate. We got to figure out how we're going to connect. And that kind of goes back to the subscription and the delivery thing. So when I was talking about the food truck thing that you want to do, you know, I, I would be like, Hey, you know what? People are in their homes and you know, where can you guarantee that you're going to meet them where they want to be met and just deliver to them? So it all kind of goes back to the same thing of like reaching mainstream audiences because how do we actually have a revolution in our food system? We need the mainstream to like, not, not just kind of care, but to like be inspired and to take action. And so, you know, as just a member of the farming community, I'm just trying to get people to take action because whatever we've been doing isn't enough. Like bumper stickers aren't enough. Shame and, and yelling and complaining isn't gonna do anything. You know, we got to make it cool. Like we got to invite people in. You know, like, yo, check this out. Yo, check out what I did. And I'm proud of what we did at Vegetable and the Craven Local Food Market in the Urban Farm Academy and, and what you're going to see with stem.ag. And other people can do it. And, you know, I want to be there next to them and watching them. Like we're doing, like there's a another business called Seed to Shaker in North Carolina that we helped start. And th this is a guy who just works in real estate or, or insurance sales. And he just got a vertical rack, started growing some herbs, built a food truck, and he makes uh, mocktails. And so instead of like selling like $2 lemonades like he was a couple of years ago, he's now selling eight, 10, $12 drinks because, you know, he, he put some herbs in it that he grew and is, is in his modeling things and he's making a presentation out of it. So um, that, that's, that's what I'm passionate about. That's, that's what I want to do. And that's why I put out all, all the free resources that I can because, you know, Bootstrap Farmer was my gift or the gift to me in the sense that it's a business that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to pay my rent for the foreseeable future. So now I can really just focus on like really having an impact. And I know that's, you know, that, that's, that's something that not everyone gets to do. And I don't take that lightly and I don't take it for granted. And I'm really grateful that I get to spend my time daydreaming on how I can make farming cool. So so I just like, I don't know, maybe you said it and I missed it, but like, how are you paying your, like, where are you getting your revenue from? Uh, well, so the bootstrap farmer, I mean, uh, that's, I, I started with the vegetable food truck and then the vegetable food truck uh, evolved into the Craven local food market. Um, but when I moved down to Florida, uh, the farmers that were running that, uh, they were also moving across the state because, uh, you know, they were getting noticed uh, too. And someone who was creating a like farm to table yoga retreat center asked them to come help build it, uh, which is like just an awesome opportunity for them. So we we proved that business model. We did it. We documented. It, we put it all out there, and then we we all got to work on something bigger and better, which is what you're going to see with Stem.ag, and you know they're doing their thing um, out in Asheville. So. Um, I make my money with Bootstrap Farmer. You know, we sell equipment. You know, we're known for our heavy-duty trays. Oh, right. And our, and our high tunnel The plastic we're going to buy. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, the trays, you know, the green out, right. 
Now, now with any business, like it's hard to make money right away. And I, for a couple of years, like I didn't, I didn't make money from that. And in fact, I still, I take as little as possible because I don't, we just put everything back in and into the mission and everything that we're doing because, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be Bezos rich. I don't need to be Bezos rich. I just need a bigger microphone uh, and, and I need to be better in, in how I communicate these ideas. So, um, you know, I'm fine. I got enough and now I can just focus and, and it, it's all fun, but it's most fun when you can help other people, you know, get to where you're at or are headed. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you, if you can teach me how to make a profitable business, Brandon, you've really done something, <laughs> but, um, because I, sh- I've not figured I'm like, but it, you know, one thing I was going to tell you, like Airbnb has this question, like, if you want to go work for Airbnb, you have to like show up, like they have these core things. And one of them is being a serial entrepreneur. Like you have to show that you've always been an entrepreneur all your life. Like that's one of their core values. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I would recommend going through the MAP course and MAP stands for a minimum agricultural product. And remember the guy I was telling you who had the salad club in Paris, Texas, yeah. um, that that's his, that's his baby. His course is basically saying, Hey, if, if you just want to start with something so basic and just test the market and, and just kind of test out everything from a lifestyle point of view, a business point of view, and not like, not ruin your family life, not ruin your finances, like go through this course. And again, it's all free. It's, it's there. It doesn't cost you a dime. It's mostly video based. The person who, uh, he recorded it with you'll who went through the map course if you recognize them you'll you'll notice like they're doing big things too now um so that everything oh, is, and i is, love the glass jars like it's so recyclable it's so perfect you know it, it's it's really interesting like uh we we felt like we were putting a bow tie on what we really wanted to put out and what was missing in the market for the urban farm academy back in about february or march of last year and then covid happened and I got to say, like, everything that we put out has been COVID proof. Like, it, everything applies the exact same way. The videos are a little weird because people aren't wearing masks and all that. But just forget that. I mean, I think the principles definitely um, has stood the test of time. Awesome. Well, tell us about your plate. Like, why do you say your backyard things start with an aquaponic pond? Uh, so my, my girlfriend here, she does aquaponics. That's her personal passion. So we are just kind of combining interests here. And, um, it's actually really simple. We just dug a hole threw a palm liner down and, uh, we grabbed an IVC tank and filled it with granite. And so that granite is our filter. So we just cycle the water from the pond to the IVC that's filled with granite and that done. Like it's not rocket science. So maybe I'll send you some pictures or you can actually, you can check out my Instagram account. It's at Brandon Youst, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-Y-O-U-S-T. And you'll see pictures of uh, what I got going on here in Florida and, you know, what I was doing back in North Carolina. And then what trees did you plant? Are they fruit trees, nut trees, decorative trees? So the way I like to grow is I plant everything and then just kind of see what survives and what doesn't and just kind of go from there. So I, you know, we were, and I'm also like, a, I'm kind of a prepper slash homesteader. And that's what I was really doing in North Carolina. And I had seven and a half acres in North Carolina, had the pond, had just like everything going for me. 
And uh, Tallahassee, I'm, you know, I'm back down to a quarter acre. So uh, I'm turning into like a, a mini homestead. So a lot of different things grow. So avocados, oranges, uh, basically everything. Everything that you've heard that can be grown in, in the United States, I've, I've probably tried to plant back here already. So I got um, apples, pears, kiwis, um, guavas, papayas. The papayas are actually the ones doing the best. Nothing, when you plant like a new tree, you know, from a nursery, the first year, you're just not gonna get much of anything. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. So let's say we're gonna get to the lightning run. Well, is there something that didn't work out the way you thought it was gonna last year then? Um, well, I'll tell you, you know, every, I changed my mind too much, you know? And so I haven't done like year after year trials and really saying like, you know, this just didn't work. I would say I found, I found the sweet spot where I can garden for fun again, like farming for a full-time income is kind of a different animal because your livelihood depends on it. And for me, just being able to kind of grow for fun and just seeing what survives. And I also travel a lot. So if I leave for a month, you know, I come back, something's dead. It's like not the hugest deal. So, um, you know, I'm in, and, and I'm in a new state, so things are dying. Things aren't, I have Natha cabbage that's actually doing great, which is the biggest surprise. So, um, I would say that's doing good, but the, uh, dragon fruit is definitely not. Okay. So if we were getting to the root of things, do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Like that's something you got to force yourself to get out there and do? Yeah. So I, I just hate maintenance, maintenance of things. And that really informs the design of things, which is really great because if you can design something really well, it'll have little to no maintenance. So, if, you know, my pond, for example, like I don't, we don't do any maintenance whatsoever. Sometimes I'll pick a couple of leaves out of the IBC so it doesn't clog the, the filter on top. But that's it. And um, so because I know what I hate, and I know what I don't do. Uh, previous iterations of my farms, you know, the more maintenance it had, the less it worked out. So I just know that about myself. I, I don't I don't make projects to make more work for myself. I make projects to create more abundance for myself. Uh, we have so much in common. <laughs> uh so on the flip side, what is your favorite activity to do in the garden? Uh, you know, honestly, right now, for the last six months, anyway, it's been picking weeds. And I know that sounds, uh, you know, not many people would say that, but, you know, like the kind of work that I do now, it's very computer-based or it's very like, it takes a lot of like mental energy to, to think of things where I just need to be doing things that are mindless because I'm trying to think of ideas. And also it, it gets me outside. So when I can just kind of pick weeds and my, my backyard is mostly sand. So if I can pick weeds, it clears the sand, makes me feel, you know, looks better. And not that I need to get it done. I actually don't care, uh, but it's just, it's a nice mindless activity and it allows me to, to kind of daydream, which is I think where I need to be most of the time. That's so interesting because that's like my biggest struggle with gardening. Like, I don't feel like I can like, I, I don't know, like I get stuck in my head. Like I'm a much more likely to go walk and do all the things you're saying when I'm walking or running or like being in the woods with my dogs. But like gardening to me 
is a challenge. But the one thing that has helped me be a better gardener and more likely to spend time in the garden is listening to podcasts in the garden. But, yeah, for sure. For uh, sure. I, I agree with that too. That's a perfect I, time to listen to podcasts because like it's hard to when you're driving or anything, it's like you get distracted. You have to think of other things. But when you're picking weeds, you don't. So what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Uh, keep it simple. You know, if, if you're going to make it not fun for yourself, you're going to quit. And then, well, you know, that's the worst thing that could happen. So, you know, simple design, starting small, like you have to challenge yourself, but you also kind of want to make sure that you're giving yourself a real opportunity to be successful, especially early on. Um, because if you have no confidence, like why would you want to destroy it so early? So, you know, if you can start small, you can also like, if you're starting with a smaller system, you can kind of like maybe buy a few more bells and whistles that maybe guarantees success. So you can focus on just a few things instead of everything. Like maybe if you buy the, the light, the grow light, you don't have to worry about that. And then you can just kind of focus on, you know, the, the temperature and the airflow and stuff like that. So uh, I guess that would be my advice. Yep. My husband's much better at starting small. I always want to go like right big right away. And he's always like, why can't you just like tone it down? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, bootstrap farmer, it's like you do a little bit by little bit and you build, you know, everything builds on itself. And that's kind of like in long-term thinking too, like everything that we do should be a step towards today, but it also should be a step towards tomorrow. So everything should build on itself and not like kind of be like a waste later. If it's going to be a waste later, like you could probably just design it better. And I think a lot of it like has to do with like, I feel like in a lot of ways, like I grew up, you're going to go to high school, you're going to go to college. Like before I like, I barely turned 18. Like I was 18 for like two weeks and here's me and my dad going to college. I can still remember the first place I went on the campus was the financial aid office. And I was $10,000 in debt. I wasn't even a month over being 18. And so my yeah. whole life, I was, you know, like I had this mindset, like you borrowed money to make money. You borrowed money to go to college. So you would get a good job so that you would eventually make money. And just like, I've always, that's just the way, whereas he was always raised the total opposite, like more the bootstrapping model where you don't borrow any money. You pay for everything with cash. You do things slowly. And, and so it's been interesting how we've managed to, uh, survive this long yeah. I mean, <laughs> so we've been I, married I, 27 years <laughs> wow and congratulations on that Thanks. wow i hope but, I, uh, I hope relationships like that are, are in our future still the world's moving so quickly who knows at this point uh i'll tell you you know it hasn't been without challenges and this year is really like that he's still married to me after being stuck home with me since march <laughs> mm -hmm. i just think my mom she should be so thankful that he has put up with me because it hasn't been easy i've been really grouchy especially this fall feeling very well, i like know, to have a key and a door and a put and, and like a specific job and a paycheck on friday and yeah. um it's been tough but at the same time we are very are we have a really strong foundation i was just explaining to my grandson's girlfriend like we met because we were like you know protesting the iraq war back in 1992 together and and like you know we have very strong environmental values and just like like that's where a lot of our foundation is like how many things we have combined and you know and, 
27 years, it speaks to a resiliency and farming is all about resiliency and, and that's what it teaches you. And that's why I love farming so much or even just having a garden because, you know, art, it's, it's like too easy to live these days. You know, it's like you can just go about living and not be challenged at all. And so people just aren't resilient. And I think we're seeing that um, play itself out in all kinds of ways in our society. So um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it kind of gets you back to nature because you learn lessons that, you know, just aren't, you aren't confronted with the normal day to day where everything is just kind of made easy for you. So that's why I kind of brought, I said that like 27 years, like, no, you have to be resilient. You have to like, you know, that, that speaks for itself. And I just worry because everything's just delivered and automatically done for us. Um, you know, getting back to farming is going to teach, teaches our society so much. And it's also fun. And it, it also creates like strong communities, strong local communities. Like we don't, we don't want to be uh, dependent on bringing most of our food in. Like, of course, we're always going to be shipping in some spices, right? Or coffee, for example. But other than that, or chocolate. Yeah, or chocolate. But other than that, like, like 90% we could do here in the States or we can do in our communities. And that's, well, that's, that's part of why it like, is. and there's like a, there's a, a rice I'm pretty sure that grows well that we really want to try called farro that grows really well in Montana. And then if we could have the food bowl and it's really expensive. Like if you try to buy it in the store, it's like the most expensive rice. It's crazy, but I guess it grows pretty well on the East side, like it's dry farming method where they don't have like irrigation. And so we've mm -hmm. been wanting to look into that too. And just, uh, well, yeah, say, it's interesting. It's funny because like when you, we talk about business, like one thing I, you know, there's always that don't quit your day job until, but my advice is quit your day job, get a night job that doesn't require any mental bandwidth, put your morning creative time in. And if you were working at the place that you worked, they're going to hire you back if things don't work out. And if you weren't, well, then you'll either find another job or you need to figure out why you didn't get, I mean, I have been I'm on job like number 57. Like I kid you not, I've had 57 bosses in 35 working years. And um, I've been hired back almost everywhere I've ever worked. Um, even if I walked out the door, like literally I've walked out of classrooms. I've walked out of offices. I worked at an insurance agency. And just because I'm a hardworking employee, I show up, I give my best foot forward when I'm there. Yeah. You know, that's my advice, people. Get a night job that doesn't take your mental bandwidth and put that creativity into your morning. That being said, you know, again, I don't, I'm not living off of my podcast income or anything yet, but I hope one day, you know, I've, I, I mean, part of me feels like to expect to do it in a sooner time. I don't have your background. Like, that's what I always tell John. People are always like, oh, it's your ROTC, John Lee Dumas. Like, it's your ROTC background. You were an officer in the military. And I'm always like, um, no, it's because he went to Providence, Rhode Island College. And then he went, spent a year like working in corporate finance. And then he did a half a year at corporate real estate while he was going to law school. And it's all those business kids and like watching what corporate real estate look like. It's just like the shoe dog, the Nike guy who worked as an accountant and spent his years, you know, looking through all these business papers and studying businesses and how accounting worked. And then he did the, the shoe business, the Nike thing by making connections with running coaches. Cause he was a runner and just, 
you know, it's like you said in the beginning, marrying your passion and what you're good at with what you want to do, not just being like, oh, I want to be a farmer because I like to grow eggplants or asparagus or whatever. And, you know, not, not everyone wants to be a business owner and it's not not necessarily an ideal or anything, even Um, it's just an option for a lot of people. Um, But yeah, I mean, it gives you, it teaches you so much. You'll learn so much. Like if I really wanted a type of resume, the things I could have, I could add, you know, that I've done since I've started my business would like quadruple, like not 10, 10 times anything that I've done, you know, before that from a realistic, like real world experience sense. So, you know, that's one thing that doesn't, you know, when you create an LLC, you put yourself in the mindset of, is this an investment? Is this expenditure an investment? And whether that's in your business or in yourself, they kind of became, become the same thing. And that's when you kind of like, I don't know, you just pay attention to your growth and your life and what you're doing with your time or at least for me in a way that I, I appreciate because, you know, when I'm sitting behind a desk working for someone else, building someone else's dream, I just kind of felt like I was wasting my, my, my life away in a sense. And that just kind of like felt defeating. So there's just, there's a lot of empowerment for me on the other side. So Brandon, what's your favorite tool? If you like, was there something you couldn't leave? Like if you could only have moved to Florida with one tool, what could you not leave behind? Um, well, can, I, can I say like a yes. combination of things? Absolutely. Okay, so That'd be great. Drip irrigation. You know, I, I got to say, if you can set up your garden to be automatically watered, it's just life becomes better. All of the pressure to in the reminders, like, you know, when you build projects, think about long term and like, what are you adding to your daily to do list? If you're adding something to your daily to do list with your project, like, Again, I'll challenge you to design it better. So like for a garden, for example, like I have a garden outside, but I always put in drip irrigation because I travel and I just daily day to day don't want to worry about because if I'm just building a self, my a task list, I'm just kind of like building a job for myself in the sense that I don't want, like I want freedom. I want to be able to do what I want every moment in a sense, you know? So drip irrigation allows allows that freedom. Oh my gosh, I so know. And I'm laughing because my listeners are like, my my biggest challenge is watering. Like, what did I do? I went and got blossom end rot on my tomatoes this year in JM48. He's like, well, that's because your calcium wasn't circulating because you didn't water enough. And like, it was all come down to, I didn't water enough, which my husband kept telling me, you got to water more, you got to water more. But I don't know, I just kept looking at the dirt and we had like got this really dark black dirt. And I, did, I guess I just thought it was moisture than it was. So drip irrigation, I'm sure my listeners yeah, are like, that's you know, what like, Jackie you know, needs. Because you do get, um, you get like mold issues or disease issues when you're watering the leaves a lot. You know, maybe like overnight where the sun's not drying it off overnight. So you can get mildew and things like that. So, you know, drip irrigation, first of all, you use a lot less water. It's not really evaporating as much into the air and it's more directly on the roots instead of like the leaves and the plant, which don't actually need water. So it's like one of those, I like to say, some, some things make sense for all of the reasons, not just one. And drip irrigation is definitely that. I love that. Some things make sense for for all wait, what was it for all, all of, of the reasons they because they yeah. for all of the reasons I like that. Uh what's your favorite recipe you like uh, to eat from the garden? Well, I mentioned 
I mentioned the ramen bowl before, like that was a, a thing, but I'll, I'll change it and I'll say uh, pizza. And that's one thing that we did at the Craven Local Food Market. Um, I have a uni oven, U-N-I, which is like a cheap thing to buy, but it makes like really delicious wood pellet uh, pizzas. And, you know, there's just, you can do whatever, as long as you have a crust, pizza, or cheese and sauce, you can put whatever you want on top of it. And that's your opportunity to be seasonal. So that would be my favorite recipe because I hate the same thing over and over. So if I'm going to have pizza, I need it like a hundred different ways. You know, I meant to say that when we were talking earlier is that I love that about that glass jar exchange too, where you're getting prepaid because that's totally mm -hmm. eating seasonal. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite internet resource where you're surfing? It really on the just web? depends like what I need, right? Like, for example, like as a business owner, you wear many hats and you evolve into different things. Like the next month, I'm just going deep again into business law because I'm working on a lot of contracts and stuff on the back end. So I'll just say it really depends on what you need for the best like business teacher for small business and getting started and all that. I got to say is Mike Michalowicz, M-I-C-H. Yeah, the, the pump, pumpkin the plan. plan. If you will that, you'll find his name. Thank you for not making me spell it. And then his next one is the profit so, pro first. Pro profit well, first, right? Came out, so the pumpkin plan is basically saying like, you have all these like little things that you can do, but what's the one that's like really working that you can nurture and grow and like cut off all of the other things. Uh, it's kind of like the 80-20 principle. Um, but yeah, and then profit first was, man, if you're afraid of like going bankrupt or you feel like you need guidance on how to handle finances and accounting and what you should do with your profit, like start with profit first. Don't look back, don't do anything else. Read that book, read it again, read it three more times. Like it is, I feel like one of the best things you can do to like really increase the, the chances that you're not going to screw things up terribly because his accounting method that he uses, and it's very simple, it, it's just right in front of your face all the time. And like, you have to take action on it because what a lot of business owners do at the beginning is they don't really do their accounting. They know that they're losing money, but they don't really want to like calculate it. So they don't have to face the truth. You know, um, that actually happens way more than anything. <laughs> I have not read Profit First. Maybe that'll be my, uh, I have the pumpkin plan, then, but uh, I haven't read Profit another First. Another one that he wrote. Of it. I do. I, Clockwork I like was another book. one that he wrote. His Clockwork is basically saying like, and that, that's why I have so much freedom now is because I don't, I don't do like the stuff that like, I, I'm, I, people around me say, and they kind of make fun. He's like, I'm the ideas guy. And that is true. Like, that's what I do. I'm like, Hey, we, we need to work on this. And it's not like I'm not built. I'm not good at the building and the finishing and the details like that. I, I suck at that. What I am good at is like casting a vision, finding talented people to enroll and to help me move, move these things forward. And so that's pretty much what I focus on because that's, I think, as far as like the biggest picture of the things that we're working on, the more I can do what I'm best at and the more everyone else can do what they're best at. And that's like what I recruit them for. We're going to hopefully build the best, most amazing thing we possibly can. That's funny. I was just writing this morning about, um, oh my gosh, am I going to blank on his name? The guy who wrote Good to Great, and he says, start by getting your yep. team on your bus. Start by finding yep. the right people. I, I can't remember uh, who wrote that. That's, that's an odd book to read now because like 
all those companies are now like bankrupt. So it's it's weird to read about Circuit City and how awesome they are, you know, <laughs> but but it's still a good book for sure. No, I never got past <laughs> chapter one. I don't know who wrote it either. It's sitting on my shelf, but I can't see my shelf from here. But I just got to, uh, but the, but that's the part I always remember. Get your, gather your team, gather yeah. your team, um, you know, get the right people on board. But I'm a lot like you. I'm the visionary and not as much the builder. I don't know. I mean, I build some things, yeah. the finisher, but I'm working on like actually for 2020 and 2021, I'm working on finishing things i have a lot of projects that are started um but i also feel like sometimes you know you have to let things simmer and percolate and and put them away and then pull them pull them back out and then yeah. you know relook oh, at sure. them and yeah um, you mentioned that i spent most of my morning revisiting an idea that i was working on for months and the timing just wasn't right and i actually think the timing will be right in a couple of months to to do it and you know thank god i hit control all delete in my Google document because I spent, you know, days and weeks and months like figuring out those or thinking about those things. But I was like, sometimes they don't work out, but you know, timing is everything, you know, timing is everything for the books you read, the podcast you listen to um, when you start a new job, like all of those things. Timing is critical to everything that we do. And we usually know when the timing is right because our gut will tell us it is. And it's also very critical in farming. Like I, I've been like going through uh, Andrew Mufford's mm-hmm. the no-till yeah, organic farmer, I think it's called. And uh, and and the overall theme through that book is timing, 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 timing. And then I was um, editing my interview with Daniel Mays, and he also talks about. Um, I was thinking about doing a 2021 garden challenge to maximize photosynthesis by making sure when you harvest, as soon as you harvest something, you're planting something within 24 hours, which is tough. Not letting your soil sit like that would be because my garden challenges are generally super downloaded. They get way more downloads than anything else. And so I was trying to come up with a good garden challenge for 2021. And I thought, Oh, maybe that should be it. Maximize your photosynthesis. How can you, maximize your photosynthesis this year not to mention this other woman patty armister like talked about that when she was at one, my uh, place. one challenge that i always look for that people i love to see is i call it close the loop and it's basically like you know if you have chickens and you're making compost like how can you get to a productive garden where you're not really bringing in amendments um as much as possible or not at all and there's someone uh nature's always right on youtube who I've always had my eye on, who is doing a really good job learning and kind of figuring this out using something called Korean natural farming. And that's basically creating nutrients with local resources, like creating your own nutrients and your own inputs. So, you know, I think sometimes we can get lost in the idealism and this beautiful future and pasture and everyone's kumbaya, which will probably never exist, but there are like there's real groundwork being made with um, the spread of information um, and how to do some of these things. So that's, you know, maybe that's for another, maybe next year you can do a close the loop challenge to like these little, as these ideas get developed and spread, because I don't know if they're quite ready yet, but that's something I have my eye on. Yeah. 
I think probably that's exactly what they're talking about. Because that's what, uh, um, what is it, Daniel made? Like a lot of it's the maximizing photosynthesis. Like he started out, he's like nine years into his farm and he started out adding like, I think, is it a ton of compost to a 112 by 100 foot bed for the first four years? And now they just pretty much grow their own green cover crops and he's not having to add the compost because they're doing their own inputs. And then they had like poultry, chickens and um, pigs too also but I think they just got rid of the poultry and pigs this year because him and his wife had two babies and they just have too much on their plate but yeah he's a lot into growing like your own every, everything every, you're talking about and I don't like saying every and all or something needs this but I'll just say like every farm needs a poop factory yeah you know you need either chickens or fish or yeah like the or, or even vermicompost like you need to create poop because poop is like the nutrient base that'll feed your plants to a large degree. So, yeah. Yeah. I've said forever, our chickens are here for the manure. The eggs are just the cherry on top. Anyway, Brendan, you're probably like, is she (laughs) ever going to hang up? So I'll do my final question and then you can tell everybody how to connect with you and all your websites and the cool stuff again. But uh, it's kind of a doozy. If there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? So right now, delivery is a big thing where you have even Walmart and these these big, big companies delivering everything you need to your home. And... You know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, global corporations or our dependence on a bunch of other countries and all this stuff. So I'm always looking for ways of how we can create, you know, hyper-local food economies. And, you know, we talked about farming and gardening, which obviously is like the foundation. But what we also need is to be, to have people be the local distributors of those locally made items. So, you know, consider that if someone's making soap locally someone's making honey someone's making salads someone's making kombucha well what if someone started a business that would pull all those things and create subscriptions and and delivery services and bring it to those people on a weekly basis so even if you don't want to grow anything that's that's a real opportunity and a missing thing in the market too because you know walmart can't compete with something that's that fresh that local and you're going to meet that person like face to face on a weekly basis and you're going to know your farmers because they live in your community and you're going to know the people who made that soap that honey because they live in your community so uh to be the organizer or the the locally made distributor or hub um i don't know if that answers your question anymore but i felt like that was the answer i wanted to give That definitely answers my question. And I think it's so timely and it, and it gives people like, you know, like you, cause a lot of people, you know, what's the obstacle to farming? I don't have a place to grow a farm yet, or my place isn't big enough yet. Or, you know, like we've been struggling, like we don't have enough stuff to go to the farmer's market, but that would be an entry way for us and to use other people's things. And like one thing I see, this is what I kept thinking was like, we needed to have farm dinners. And I was like, if I'm going to have farm dinners at our place, we need to have a public bathroom. And I keep thinking like, how am I going to ever build this bathroom? But like your idea is so much better. Like just take it to them, deliver 
to them. And then the interesting thing is like when I worked for a restaurant, I asked the owner, like, what would you tell my listeners if they wanted to approach you? He's like, the number one thing, have a, you know, I've seen more farms fail because they didn't have a reliable delivery truck. I've seen more farms and people come to my back door. I want it delivered to my back door on time, consistently, every week when I know you're coming or once a month, you know, like the Amish pickle people would walk in like this business. They were a, a super busy business, but they, you know, they bought their rolls from next door at the bakery. They bought lots of local stuff. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. I love that hyper local food economies. Brandon, thank you so much for sharing all these valuable seeds. I know we've been on the phone for over an hour and you're like, when is she ever going to shut up? So tell everybody where to find you again. It's bootstrap. Farm. So the equipment com. company is, is bootstrapfarmer.com. Uh, if you're looking for a business education, that is urbanfarmacademy.com. And uh, if your kids are having a crappy time in school, you can check out stem.ag and we're going to have um, some things available in that regard uh, coming soon. You have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Yeah, Happy 2021. Much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for changing our world and just being such an awesome rock star, millennial, a business owner, job creator, and green future grower, and steward of our planet. Just everything. Thank you. Good luck to you. Their food truck permitted as a self-contained, like it was also my commissary. So I didn't need to report to some other commercial kitchen. Like that was my commercial kitchen. And I was able to do that because um, the trailer, it was a 1976 Argosy Airstream. Um, it had a bathroom. It had like a few key things. Um, the walls weren't porous. Stuff like that uh, really matters. But, you know, I had to tear out, you know, anything that wasn't NSF approved. And NSF is just like the, you know, commercial grade for sanitation, uh, like restaurant equipment. So I was basically able to keep about 50% of the original trailer intact inside. But the other 50%, I was basically upgrading to meet those standards. So I would just keep that in mind as well. But if you if you start with, you probably have a local food code and it's probably an 80 page PDF and you probably don't want to read it and all that. But I'll tell you what, I sat one day, I said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to read this thing. And thank God I did because I just understood everything that I would need because that's just what they refer to. And once you just understand everything you need, you'll have your questions, you can follow up and you'll figure out what it's like no i'm gonna have to spend like 30 grand fixing this up and that's kind of like where you can run into to danger or maybe not or maybe it's just like i actually can just use this for this purpose and well that's what's been making me think of it it's like i keep looking at these like food trucks for sale that are like 40 50 grand and i'm like well why wouldn't we just put ten thousand dollars into this bus that's just sitting rotting on my yard <laughs> yeah that, I, I bought my, I bought my trailer shell for five grand and i spent like another 15 max and that included like the paint job and everything i think you definitely don't need to spend over 20 grand if you spend over 20 grand doing doing the whole project in total i think you could have definitely just done things better and like that's my other thing i'm like where can you start a business for so cheap i mean to me anyway that seems like a pretty yeah. low investment well, just keep it. Uh, I gotta remind you though, like the food truck life is hard. It really yeah. is hard. And chasing festivals and events, which don't really exist anymore, made it way harder. 
So well, that's again, the I, one thing we don't we want to be somewhere like permit. Like I know it says it's a food truck, but we want like a more like we don't want something that we have to drive around to places. So, you know, we're in a very like, rural like I don't want to get up with that's part of the farmer's market thing. Like, I don't know. Maybe for me, it seems ridiculous to drive 50 miles to a farmer's market. But since I've started my podcast, I've learned people drive two hours to a farmer's market. So, yeah. you know, if the market's worth it. Well, that's, it just that, well, that's your situation. I mean, but you know, if it's raining, you know, and you prepped a whole bunch of food, like you're going to get screwed. I, I always, and that's, that's ultimately like the lesson that I, and it, I kind of knew it. And that's why I designed that business up front to do the subscription. The food truck, like taking it out was really for marketing. Like I was selling subscriptions while I was out with the food truck. And then once I had enough subscriptions, I stopped taking it out for the most part. Like from that point, we only took it out because we literally would have fun doing it at the brewery. And I would basically just drink all my profits, you know, because they were, they were in the food truck. You know what I mean? It's like um, the subscription, the delivery, all like the guaranteed upfront payment. I always recommend that. And I even say the, the food truck life, like I wouldn't knowing what I know, I would like, I wouldn't do that. And I, I was smart enough to not to do that at the beginning and just rely on that. I relied on the subscription ultimately, you know, because weather, all these things are so finicky and it's just a tough life. These people don't, they're in a constant state of like survival ish. You know what I mean? No, because uh, I mean, I do because I am in a constant state of survival ish. Like the whole time I have lived in Montana. So I'm technically a New Yorker and I moved to Montana when I was 21. And it, and it's just been like that for me, like even teaching, like I, you know, went back to school in 98, got my education degree in 2003 and then taught for almost 20 years and been trying to get out of the classroom since 2014 because we, you know, we used to joke, like we have to shop at Walmart because we can't afford to go to Target as teachers. Like it's just, I just feel like I've constantly been in survival mode living in Montana. And so I don't know, you know, do I think I'm going to make it rich working at a food truck? No, but at least it's, you know, my employment's going to run out in February. I need something. Yeah, no, I got you. I'll, I'll say this. While, while, if you can set up like a subscription model of any sort, at least while you're out at the food truck selling to people, you know, you're upselling a recurring business model. You know, I'm like that, so relieved to hear that. That, like, that, I got to tell you, that subscription money coming in every week, pretty much guaranteed, you'll sleep so much better at night. So much better. And that's the thing. You like, you haven't started, you haven't done anything. Like, I got to tell you, like, if you can start with a subscription model, like a recurring revenue where it's like it's automatically charged even, like, man, that's just your freedom and your life. Like you'll save yourself two, two three years, which you'll probably go to that anyway. You know what I mean? And I, I just, my personal experience, I, like I feel it in my knees when I talk about it, you know, because those long days you know, doing the festival here there well that's why she doesn't want to do it my stepdaughter so much she's like oh it's so cold she hates the cold i hate the heat like i wouldn't want to be there in the summer i wouldn't mind being there so much in and yeah i mean do i want to do that for like this is what people ask me like do you want to do that forever no i don't want to do that but maybe it would create some jobs for my grandkids someday or so you mm -hmm. know eventually i would like graduate like you to the owner or something or like i just always look at it as like it's a stepping stone it's something i could do now it would provide good healthy food it would use yep. our food it would 
I don't know. Maybe it's. I mean, hundred percent. Like that's exactly what was I going to ask you? Like, oh, I just was on the tip of my tongue about. Oh, but like, all right. So, but like a subscription model, like takes like, if you weren't making enough subscriptions in three months, you wouldn't just say, "Oh, this isn't working," would it? Like, how long would you give it? Like, would you give it eighteen months before you're like, "This isn't working," or like, would you expect to be like? making a profit i mean like with my podcast you know here i am six years in and i'm still not but i also always feel like every month that i'm putting out a hundred dollars to make my profit someday down the line i'm gonna make a thousand dollars for that hundred dollar like that's kind of how my head works like i'm investing a hundred dollars into this you know i feel like i've established our credibility as organic growers you know i've built all these relationships with my guests like eventually it's going to flip and I'm going to get money back on that investment. Well, I mean, you, you have to decide how exactly you're going to monetize it. Right. And maybe you, you do have thoughts there, but until you do that, it's not, you know, just going to happen. Right. So. With yeah. But I just keep trying different things. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I got you. Um, but, but the thing with the subscription and like, this is like kind of doing the 80, 20, it's like you try all these little different routes. Right. And nothing pans out right away. Like none of us ever hit the lottery that just like, oh, this idea worked. And yes, that's it. Right. Fortunately, like that doesn't actually happen to most of us. So what the subscription allows, it's like you have one subscription a week, maybe for three weeks, but then you have two and then you have three and then you have four, but maybe someone leaves and now you have three, but you still have three. You're always like building, you know, you might lose some here and there, but like, it only seems to like, as long as you're doing your job and you're putting out a good product, subscriptions will not go down you know like you might lose one here week to week but like overall you'll be you'll be picking up and because it's recurring because it's automatic like the fluctuations don't exist nearly to the same extent as it does in pretty much anything else you'll do in farming unless you're going to sell to restaurants um but that's in a way a subscription you know because they order like that's the big thing with restaurants they're like I want to know you're going to have 10 pounds of carrots at this time on this day at, you know. Yep. It's a, that's its own, yeah, it's its own ball. It's kind of, of like a subscription. So here was the trick for me. Um, and the reason why I did meals also, like I liked cooking, right. But also I wasn't a professional grower. Like I had never done it before. So if my kale looked like shit or if my chard wasn't the best, like I'd be chopping it up and putting it into casseroles anyway. So it, it didn't, it didn't matter. Um, plus like whatever I had on hand or whatever I knew I'd be able to harvest next week is what I created the menu off of. So I would just create the new menu based off of like, well, what, you know, what's going to be, how can I use the most of what I have? Yeah. And that all ties into the growing local and eating seasonably. And then it's also like helping your neighbors eat seasonably. So, you know, know, go go back to your idea, like, you know, the salads to teachers at a school, like a drop off on a Monday, like you're going to drop off like 20, 30, 50 salads. Like, like that's exactly like, I love, like, that's the way to do it in my opinion. Um, but maybe you're like, you know what? No, actually I hate salads. I'm, I'm tired of salads. I'm going to be the soup. I'm going to make soups. Um, and that's great. You know why? Because you just got to get a big pot and you can make all 50 servings all at once in one big pot. You know what I mean? Instead of making like 20 different things, you're making one thing and you're doing a mass drop off. Um, and it's like, instead of just lettuce, it's like an $8 soup times 40 or something like that, you know? And for me, like that flexibility was good because I don't like, if I owned an Italian restaurant, I'd go nuts. 
eating Italian every day, or, you know, like I, I need to mix it up. So I did Indian, Thai, uh, Italian, Chinese, like did it all because I think we all like variety. So, so that seasonality allows you to do that. And again, farm fusion, you know, it's like the fusion of different cultures with, with local farming. I love it, Brandon. Oh, thank you so much. You have a great day. Yeah, I will be in touch. If, yeah, if you have any questions or anything, yeah, let me know. Okay, thank you. All right, see you. All right, bye. Hey, listeners, have you been to Growers.co, James Fortier's newest venture? He's got an amazing magazine featuring the inspiring farmers who have followed in his footsteps, taken his classes, put his practices into work that he's highlighting in a great printed magazine. He's got tools that he's designed that he's developed from um, looking at tools around the world while he did his book tour that just he uses on his farm. I mean, it's amazing the information on his website. You can learn about how to use these tools. They're totally affordable. I'm telling you, the Canadian Exchange is great right now. Um, and farmware that's stylish, it's comfortable, but most of all, it's practical for working in the garden. I know one of my biggest barriers was garden shoes. He's got boots, coats. Um, and you definitely want to get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt either for yourself, get one for your favorite CSA or farmer market vendor. It'll make them feel good. It'll make you feel good and support growers.co. That man has changed our world for the better. He's been so generous with his time, his energy and, um, deserving of, uh, uh your shopping dollars. So growers.co. Hey everyone, Patty Armbruster is going to do a YouTube live Q&A Friday afternoons, 4 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Montana Standard Time. Ask your questions at organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash Patty. Organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash P-A-T-T-I Patty. Get your questions answered. I'll be asking the questions. She'll be answering them. What do you want to know? What can we help you with in your garden so you can grow the most healthy, nutritious food? Um, she can talk about resilient agriculture and just let us know your farm and garden questions. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.